Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. I'm Gemma Cray and I'm chatting with Fintan Connolly about his fabulous whodunit drama, Barber, which will be in cinemas from the 14th of April. So thank you so much for chatting with us. No problem. First of all, I want to say uh, thank you so much. It's such a fun film. I think it's being billed as a neo-noir, but I personally think it's it's a lot like that is a particularly cold genre and what I really loved about this film is that Jungian holistic underpinning of it of a man who's unraveled but slowly coming to terms with his own identity and and I that was the bit about the film that I really loved that it was you know someone who's really struggling but but quite a warm portrait of someone trying to exist in um that kind of systemic um like issue filled world that's that's so tense but but someone who's who's not the usual sir like who who kind of embodies that in some ways but, but you know like someone who actually does want to connect and i think that's why it's different and that for me is why this is not neo noir but i enjoyed it much more as a result of it like it certainly had the elements it certainly had the visual elements it certainly had the structure the you know the the setting the world but i i altogether more enjoyed it because i thought your um lead barber was such a more rich character and tell me a little bit about how this film started yeah um well i suppose it started with uh conversations with aiden uh we we're on kind of good terms and uh we meet up occasion and talk about film ideas yeah we've worked together in the past so um we were talking about films and I was saying that I always liked those kind of movies that we saw as kids on telly like uh like The Long Goodbye and Clute and uh, Harper and stuff like that um and I said I'd love to make a kind of a film about a private detective in Dublin so that was kind of the starting point so we, we kind of came up with the name Val Barber and uh I kind of did an outline and then I'm working with Fiona Bergen, who's also the producer and the co-writer. Uh, she kind of sort of picked up the ball and did most of the, the screenplay. So it was just a kind of a, a fondness of those kind of movies, those kind of 70s kind of American films I would have seen as a kid. Um, also, my father was kind of a big uh, Paul Newman fan. And uh, so we've seen every one of his films. like, And I remember seeing like The Drowning Pool particularly. And I thought that was a really... Good movie, yeah. And then also, then you saw reruns of things like the Rockford Files. Um, so so Barber, so the idea of a private detective in Dublin was really what appealed to me because I don't think it really had been done. Um, so that was really the starting point. And then we sort of hung the story around that because obviously there's a kind of a mystery and there's a puzzle to be solved. Uh, but the thing I like about uh, the kind of genre is that. The character gets to meet quite a lot of different characters and move in a lot of different kind of worlds and situations. So, and I think you combine that with being in Dublin, and I think you had the, basically the bones of the film. So it 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 came together quite quickly, actually. How much of it was like, even though it's it's a kind of classic um sort of genre type, and you know, like there's that that kind of formula of you know a, a, a clue leads to and like another another discussion leads to like I mean that that so much is is very much so present, but there's so much of this that is sort of hinged on quite recent, um, and I think that's the modern feel of it as well. You have uh, Barber himself, who's I don't want to 
get too far into it or reveal too much but who's you know a man who's sort of denying himself and living in like that old school catholic shame and and the you have him you know existing in this kind of like hyper toxic masculinity world of um of 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 like hierarchical within the guards and and that kind of controlled quite misogynistic space in this post me too era as well like you do tackle that that quite well and then I don't know, like, like, even though it is quite a male-led film, it's it it's very much so um, dealing with a lot of feminist issues, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of that would come down to Fiona's writing um, from a sort of female perspective. I mean, a lot of uh, of the trope probably would be the kind of male loner and that. But, you know, we decided that, you know, he's a family man and he's got his own private life. I mean... Yeah, I mean, it got a good few layers, Barbara, and that was the idea. Like, you're trying to tell a story about an interesting character, so we just built in a lot of stuff into it and said, what if he's this way or that way, and what if he's had this problem or that problem? So you have the kind of puzzle he's trying to solve, which is one aspect, but then you have his own kind of coming to terms with himself, which I think uh, is is part of the film, you know, and then the relationship with his daughter and his sort of ex-wife and and so on, you know? And I do think like how his identity presented in that world is something that's very interesting to watch because, again, I think there's like there's a desperation to reconnect with them. And then there's, you know, all these kind of systemic things that are sort of in the way that he's working through and that he finds it difficult to connect with them. And I'm just wondering when it comes to developing a character like him, is this something that you sit down with your writer and you have big, long discussions with? Is this something that you kind of talk about and then play around with once it's on the page? Like, how do you kind of expand yeah. a character like that? Yeah, well, like I said, out of the uh, early conversations with Aidan, um, I had a kind of an idea of the character and a rough outline of the story. So... Uh, working with Fiona, I mean, it involved a lot of talking, um, reading what she was writing, you know, making notes. And eventually that sort of that came out then as the kind of first draft. Um, and, you know, it went through a period of redrafting, but the whole thing seemed to happen quite quickly because in terms of time, it was sort of around 2019, 2020 that we were writing it and developing it. And then we put it in for development money and we got that. And then COVID struck. And literally during that COVID time, we finessed the script and submitted it for production funding during that lockdown. So lo and behold, just as we came out of lockdown, we got the funding. So it all happened like during the lockdown. So, you know, it was it was very interesting, but also very uh, kind of cool. And then we started filming almost immediately because we only had the crew and the cast for about three weeks. So we had to kind of run and gun. Um, so we were shooting then over three weeks in between lockdowns. In fact, the day we finished shooting, we went into a second lockdown. So the whole thing just was very strange and weird and wonderful, you know. And it's it's very much so encapsulates, like, I mean, it, the 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 COVID world, do you know? Like, I, like one of the bits sort of, that I yeah. enjoy. Yeah, like, and it's it sort of... I think it will be a historic artifact in times to come when you'll be like, do you remember that? Or hopefully that will never happen again. Yeah, we'll no, it's a strange one. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not necessarily it's not necessarily part of the story, but it is in the background. And we didn't try to disguise that because we were shooting on a low budget. So we were just filming where we could, you know, but 
Um, it was an eerie kind of place to be at the time. It was an eerie time. I think, you know, some people say, oh, don't talk about the COVID. People don't want to be reminded about it. But in a way, I think we all sort of are still a little shell-shocked. Or, I mean, there was certainly there was an adjustment about what goes on in the world during that time. So the fact that we got to make a film during it, I think, yeah, maybe down the road it would be some kind of a an artifact. But, uh, yeah, it's just another aspect of making a film. And, I mean, it seemed like to go very quickly, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, even that bit where Aidan Gillen goes right up to the face of one of the antagonists and puts on his mask and gets right in there. Yeah. Like, hey, that would be handy for any kind of ADR that you might need done. And yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but like, no, it just, it's really effective. And 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 is a sort of testament as well to um Barber himself. Like, he's someone who's quite self-isolated and finds it very difficult, especially in the beginning of the film, to connect with people um, and and it, it kind of speaks to him and his mental state quite well. Yeah. It almost suits him, actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now that you say that, yeah, it, it kind of seems to suit him, um, which is interesting, yeah. And don't forget, too, we were also making it um, in fairly strict kind of regulations, so we were all masked up, we were all social distancing, we were being tested regularly, you know, we had a medic on the set, so that added another kind of air to it. But again, that also kind of made us quite tight as a team. And uh, we moved around fairly quickly, you know, which was good for a film. You know, we were quite mobile. Um, so we got to shoot all over the city. So the energy on the set was 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 very good and just unique to that time. You know, I don't know if we could recreate it again. I mean, most sets are much more quite social and, and hardworking. But, you know, it was a one-off kind of event, I think, for me. One of the things that probably made it much easier to shoot on the streets because um you again it's it's a love letter to Dublin in so many ways. I love watching the you know how you capture the city and you know how it can be quite beautiful and quite threatening and and sure. and that different energy of it. I think that's as much a character in this um oh, as, yeah. as as any of the leads. Um, so like, did you find the you know the empty streets the you know, more co- more kind of suitable for shooting. Definitely, yeah. Well, I mean, I love shooting in Dublin. I mean, it's it's where I live and where I've grown up, so I know it quite well. And I've shot all, all my films here, so yeah. Each film, like you're kind of looking at locations. Uh, we had a very good location manager on this film, so yeah. I mean, because of the streets being empty, that was quite uh, good to shoot in, you know. But I mean, you can see like boarded up pubs and things like that in the background if you look closely, but. Um, you know, it's just like we use the city as a location. And I mean, it's a location that has served me well. Yeah. And also, I mean, it's a city that also looks great at nighttime. And with the cameras these days and the lenses you have, you can shoot almost in semi-darkness, you know, which is interesting, you know. I mean, the film was lit mainly with available light and natural light and, you know, a couple of practical lamps. So you got your production funding and then went into production quite fast. There's a lot of locations yeah. and there's a lot of and, and in three weeks as well. Tell me a little bit about how that worked out or what the result of that was. Yeah, well, yeah, well Fiona's also the producer of the film and we've we've worked together on all our previous films. So we have a kind of good uh, working routine. Um, so scheduling is very, very important in any film. I mean, I, I don't want to go too much into the nuts and bolts, but. No, no, like, this is this it, is exactly the space for the nuts yeah. and bolts. Yeah, yeah we want to yeah, know. The, yeah, the key. Yeah, the key sometimes to a film running smoothly is the schedule being very well prepared in advance. So, uh, I mean, you don't shoot chronologically, obviously. Um, so, you know, we, the first week, I think we did mainly stuff in his apartment. 
And then we second week, we did stuff in his office, that kind of thing. And in between, then we'd go out on the streets and do stuff when we needed to. And then the last week, we were kind of in a, a hotel. We shot a lot of scenes there in the Marlin Hotel um, and around that area. Um, so, yeah, I mean, once you have your schedule, then you obviously getting your crew. I mean, again, Owen McCollin, who did the camera work, I've worked with him on all my films. we got a very good uh, new production designer called Tracy O'Hanlon, who did a great job on, on a very small budget to really recreate that kind of noirish kind of look in the office and so on. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, there was 15 of us only on the crew and we shot in 18 days. So it was three six-day weeks. Um, so it was just very, very busy for those three weeks. But once it was finished, then it was a great relief, you know that nobody had got COVID. That was the start. Every day you'd be worried about is somebody going to test positive and the whole thing would be closed down. Like it, it, it's, it's a strange time. But like I said, it's it's almost three years this month, isn't it, since the, the first closed down. So my my whole sort of working, one of my jobs over the last few years basically has been Barbara, you know. So it, it was a good kind of a companion to that time, if you know what I mean, that at the end of it, I've, I've come out with a film that I hadn't expected to make, actually, to be honest, you know. Wow, that's, I know, because you're, you're working on so many things and it's what gets across the line in the right place. But it sure, really yeah. suited the time, I think, definitely. Like that yeah. isolation, that kind of like insular um, world. It's, 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 it's an interesting character piece as well. So tell yeah, me a little yeah. bit about how you work with your cast to get those performances um, across the line. Well, it's, I suppose, uh, I mean, well, I knew that we had Aiden, so that was, and I mean, I knew that also Aiden uh, would be a draw for other actors to work with. Um, so working with Maureen Hughes, who's a woman I've uh, worked with in the past, who's a very good casting director, she read the script and she started making suggestions. And I'd say, what about this guy or that guy? So, yeah, I mean, basically, uh, we just offer the part to some people, people like Gary Lydon and uh, David Hurley and Nick Dunning and um, Deirdre Donnelly. We just said, would you like to play this part? You know, I mean, most of them only had to commit for one or two days, which was good, you know, because they're, you know, it's Aiden's moves through the film and he meets all these different people, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a dream cast. Yeah, uh, we, we auditioned younger actors and we found Ashton Kearns and Simone Collins. And Leah Schaefer and Isabel Connolly, four young actresses, very good. Um, and then Maureen said, what about Helen Behan as uh, Barbara's ex-wife? And I said, yeah, I'd, I'd love that. And uh, she came on board. So, yeah. So everybody came on board. We didn't do too much rehearsals. We mostly met uh, the day that we were filming. Wow. And uh, Aidan and the actors would have a bit of a chat and I'd join in and then we'd, we'd start shooting. I mean, all professional actors, so they all knew their lines and hit their marks. And uh, sometimes we did it in one or two takes, you know, and just moved on to the next one, yeah. Wow. But again, with a so team behind, like a very good, like everybody's script supervisor, you know, like AD, all working together, you know. So you would have done um, feature films in the past. You would have done um, documentaries. You would have done like very different types of formats. Do you bring what you've learned to something like this or is because this is a slightly different theme do you kind of like start with a fresh slate when you're kind of creating the the prep for yeah I think so yeah I think on this uh film that that very much was the case that I had this idea and it moved forward pretty quick 
quickly. You know, a lot of ideas, you know, you have them, but, you know, you really have to hold on to them because of the long development process, you know. I mean, people will tell you that it can take, like, eight years, five years, three years, you know. So because this happened so quickly, uh, I think that that really was almost a blueprint for making the film. We just, we wrote it, uh, we got the money, we shot it, and then suddenly we were in post, and all the hard work seemed to have been just done, you know. Um, so... Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I just wanted to make a kind of this kind of movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love uh, making films. It's 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 my favorite thing. I mean, I've made documentaries in the past and other things. Um, sometimes that's kind of just um, um, bread and butter work. Um, but uh, getting an opportunity to make a film in Dublin just it's it's perfect for me. So you have your three weeks of shooting. You have like something kind of like it's a quite stylized um, type of film to create. How do you put it together in the edit? Like, do you, again, when when it's a time of COVID and there's so many restrictions and you're going into lockdown, did that work well for the edit? Or what made it, did it make it difficult to do pickups? How was that process? Yeah, they, it's just the story gets kind of more wonderful. <laughs> and there's, it's a very complex narrative, actually, to make sure that you have, because there's a lot of yeah. angles that you have to make sure are covered. Like I'm sure like dealing with the subject matter, I know you had a great script supervisor, but there's a lot of moving parts to this as well. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, as director, like you have to keep an eye on the ball all the time. I mean, it's quite intense, but then that's what you signed up for, you know? Um, but in terms of the editing, that was quite, quite interesting because, uh, because of COVID then suddenly, I mean, I had no intention of sort of starting editing the next day after finishing. The whole thing was to get it in the can. So once we got it in the can, then we could sort of chill out and work out the next bit. So it so happened that uh, there was an editor I was interested in and I contacted their agent um, and they weren't available. But their agent said, um, we have some other people on our books who aren't doing anything at the moment. If you'd like to have a look at their resume and showreel and that. So. Lo and behold, there was a guy called Nicholas Tatar who has had quite an impressive resume with, uh, like, basically Hollywood movies like uh, Stoker and uh, Wolverine. He's now editing Avatar Three. So anyway, he, believe it or not, was uh, living in Berlin and had a couple of weeks on his hands. So we talked, and he said he he loved the script. So I sent him the hard drives, and he uh, sort of edited the film over about eight weeks. And we were able to look at it online and, and make notes and so on. So he had a first cut after eight weeks that was fairly, fairly close to what the script was. And uh, so that that was how that happened. So that was all done remotely, which was 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 very strange, but also suited the, the film, I think, you know. Um, and the same thing happened with when we were editing the film, we were using a temp score by uh, Carter Burwell, who does a lot of the Coen Brothers music. And uh, Nicholas uh, got me in touch with Carter Burwell, uh, who was booked out for the next three or four years. But there was a young guy that works with him on his team uh, called Forrest Gray. And he uh, we started talking and he ended up doing the score for the film. So, again, he was working in L.A. Nicholas was working in Berlin and I was here in Dublin uh, kind of coordinating it. So, again, it was all a little bit surreal. Yeah, yeah. It's the the new way of things as well. Like yeah, yeah, no, it is. It certainly loosened up things. Yeah, although I do like. I mean, I I missed sitting in an editing room and all that kind of thing. Like over the years, it can be. I mean, sometimes when you're there with the editor, things can move along much quicker. Whereas if you're like 
putting stuff back and forth, you know, it takes up more time. But I mean, it was, yeah, it was very, very interesting that you could do a lot. And the same recently, uh, the guy who cut the trailer is an Irish guy living in Paris, you know, so it's, uh, and then also the way films are now, like all digital. So like the fact that we make a DCP and then they just, if a cinema wants to book it, we just transfer the file there and it's ready to go. I mean, I remember having to like send like five reels of film by courier, you know, to a festival or something like that, you know. It is a definitely a different time. And and like even the expense of that one, instead you're just sending a file. Like, Well, that's true. That's that end of it's cheaper. But funny, with all the technology, things haven't got that much cheaper. <laughs> Production houses and post rental houses still seem to charge the same. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose it's still expensive. <laughs> all that equipment and yeah, software. Yeah. But um... yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, Owen had a very good, you know, we did, Fiona did very good deals with people. You know, people were keen to, 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 to work with us and so on you know it was a lot of goodwill and also don't forget because we were one of the first films to shoot after the whole lockdown people were mad keen to get back to work and you got in just before the big boom happened where i'd say if you were like oh we'll wait and see then all the crew were used up and it just seems to be hard to find crew for people now because sure, yeah people- yeah no it had got to, yeah it, again it was one of the kind of unique set of circumstances that it was if it was, there's no way that Owen and Aidan and Robert Flanagan, who did sound, would all be available on the same couple of weeks now. You know what I mean? So, but that's the nature of it. I mean, part of picking your team is who's available and who wants to do it. You know, but uh, we were we were blessed. I'm interesting to how you work as a collaborator as a director. So when you're co-writing the script, you're saying you go through it. Do you like? rewrite it or do you just give notes would you have a strong nudge it in a different direction or are you like actually why don't we question these things i'm I'm just i'm just and and again the same with how you work with your cinematographer do you go this is my influences or do you go this is exactly my beat sheet like how do you find what do you find works best you know, they're two different things, but yeah, working with Fiona was was quite straightforward insofar as uh, I we'd be reading stuff and giving notes, but we both see the saw the kind of screenplay as a kind of blueprint for the film. So once we were happy with the general structure and that this was going to happen, these were the scenes. You know, when we went onto the set then and working with the crew and and cinematographer and so on, uh, you know, little things kind of improved or some things were shortened. You know, but I mean, I think we use most of the scenes i think we only lost two or three scenes in the edit for one reason or another you know so uh and in terms of working with uh owen mike pole and and the crew i mean sometimes we just watch a couple of movies beforehand that you know would be like 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 a few like those films i mentioned like um american uh 70s movies um and maybe owen would say hey what about this hong kong detective movie and we'd look at that so yeah i mean it's quite a, a straightforward kind of relationship. I mean, he's a really good cameraman, so and he always likes things really well. And I mean, I'm walking around with it, it's good these days. You, with it, as a director, you've got a little kind of um, a monitor that you can. It's not attached to anything, so you can walk around looking at everything, even if they're all busy over there. I found that very useful, I must say. So you can see everything that's been shot exactly as it's been shot and set up, and you can just say, well, actually, no, could you just maybe move it to the left or the right or whatever, maybe a bit wider, you know. Was there anything maybe that didn't quite work out for COVID or fiscal reasons or anything like that, that any darlings that you had to kill along the way? I can't think of any, no. <laughs> Not really. Uh, no, I mean, things only improved. Yeah, things, things improved. Yeah. 
No, sometimes you have a scene that might be just a little bit too long, you know. Um, you might have someone coming in the door and sitting down, so really you could just cut them sitting down. Do you know what I mean? You're trying to keep the pace going. So anything you'd lose would be just because it might slow down the kind of what you think is the pace of the film. Because that's one of the things that I think that uh, Nicholas brought to the project and the editing was that it's, it's really kind of moves along quite nicely, I think. One of the things that you definitely don't shy away from is that systemic corruption um you know like i mean there's so much truth to that that we have seen in society within the the guards of shiokana and the whistleblowers and stuff like that like how much of that is sort of taken from what you heard or is it just an irish interpretation of you know like what's happening around the globe and in these sorts of organizations did you do much research into that or was that just something that you're like look i'm just gonna let i'm just gonna go into it for the sake of the story uh, no, myself and Fiona just thought it was a good a good part of the story. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, sort of black and white, really. Yeah, I mean, uh, you need kind of an antagonist for the character. And uh, I mean, the fact that he's an ex-guard, um, you know, I, I thought it was quite interesting to the character. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's the story, really. Yeah, the same with um, the actual story of the missing girl. You know, they're kind of taken a little bit from the headlines. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to give too much away, but there's... <laughs> yeah, well, I think Aiden, Aiden brought a lot of that into the performance. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, from the people who've seen it so far, I mean, a lot of people have just found Aiden's performance to be very cool. You know, just mm-hmm. a, a, it's a kind of a, a different side to him. And, you know, it's uh, something that I think Aiden brings a lot to the character so that you just, you believe it, you know. And there is that conflicted relationship that he has in the film. But I do think like, I think that especially the thing that Aiden really brings is a chemistry. So he has um, the love interest with his daughter. There's a real awkward kindness, um, a, a kind of blundering, like ignorance, but well-meaning. That's that's very truthful. And then there's kind of like this exhausted fondness for his ex-wife um, and I, like I'm like that that chemistry that's there. So you're saying everyone just showed up on set and that was just there, <laughs> like you didn't like have <laughs> like you they just showed up on set like they're like hi hi oh yeah my name's Lady is Aiden oh yeah so then and well, then that was yeah. just there. <laughs> yeah, well actually no, it wasn't all. I mean, um, Ashling and Aiden like had a couple of meetings before the film and discussions about the character, um. But like Helen and Aiden, yeah, they they turned up and uh, started shooting. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's 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 different. Different actors prepare differently, but I mean, they're all. I mean, once you pick well, then they should they all know what the game. You know what I mean? Um, and like you know, you can, they can see straight away from the setup, like myself and Owen are ready to go. So there wasn't really much hanging around or waiting for you know uh, the, the lights to change or anything like that. You know, um, some people were surprised that we, you know that we didn't do a lot of rehearsal or whatever. But sometimes you shoot the rehearsal because. You just, you, you know, it's all, once the camera turns over, it's whatever happens in front of the camera is important. It doesn't matter how you got there or whether you were rehearsing for ages or whether you met two minutes before, you know what I mean? So it's, that's what I love about it, yeah. Um, was it sort of sad, like, again, to have a, a project get through the, get through the, the kind of mill and be out there so quickly? Oops. Um, yeah. It must be very satisfying to just to have something. Because again, like there's so much working and there's so much moving parts and securing funding. Um, 
was it just Green Ireland funded or did you guys have to kind of rally around for extra co-power money or anything from other places? Yeah, no, it was uh, it was uh, Green Ireland funded. I mean, it was done under uh, the micro budget scheme, which is uh, only used occasionally. But it, we, we thought it was a, it was enough to do the film. And uh, Leslie McKim, who worked in Screen Ireland at the time, gave it the green light. Uh, so I think that um, the budget, yeah, we we get, we also uh, we got a kind of a small amount from RTE up front as well for the TV rights, but that was it, uh, just Screen Ireland and RTE, and that was enough to shoot it. That's amazing. Yeah, like, it that is. is yeah, amazing I mean, to have it, something it, of that. That's caliber. why we zoned in on the low budget model because if we were to go the traditional route, we'd probably still be developing it. You know, because once you go outside of uh, you know, to, to Ireland to get money abroad. I mean, that takes co-producers. It all takes time, which is fine for certain types of film. But this film, I think, benefited from being able to go into production quickly. And and that's that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, we were lucky. Yeah, like I said, uh, it was good that uh, Leslie backed us. Because there's so many issues sort of tackled in the film. So has it played festivals so far? Like, has it kind of been seen by a couple of people? Because there's a lot well, of we issues. We only started there with- yeah, we, the, the premiere was just there recently at the Dublin Film Festival, which was uh, that was the first time. Um, well, it wasn't the first time I saw it on the big screen. I'd seen it the week before on my own and that. But uh, seeing it with an audience, just it was really a big relief, actually. It was a really good night. Um, but myself and Fiona were, uh, you know, delighted with the response. Um, so, and like I say, Clarence have picked it up now and it's gone out next next what, Friday week the 14th of April 14th yeah so that's that's yeah. and it's they gave me a list of cinemas there it's about a dozen cinemas around the country including some of the multiplexes so you know for me that's just you know all gravy really you know it's just great that people will see it so I'll, I'll await their response I mean I know that some people are going to hate it but other people are going to like it you know and is there anything now that you know that you've kind of completed this that you have a hunger to to go into is there any sort of field or genre that you're like actually I'd, I'd love to to do a version with that yeah of course yeah yeah I mean there's a couple of ideas percolating at the moment yeah yeah but I don't want to kind of say too much about them but yeah I mean you know I, I mean I, I definitely wanted to do a road movie for a long time you know so that's one anyway that I'd like to look at people don't think there's road movies in Ireland but you know even going from Dublin to Port Arlington could be a road movie do you know what I mean it, yeah it's the same with private detectives like I knew that you know People think, oh, well, you don't really have private detectives here and they they can't carry a gun or anything like that, which I appreciate. But, you know, there are plenty of private detectives operating in Ireland on on different things, you know. Yeah, they're mostly insurance, as as Aidan says himself in the film. Yeah, yeah. Mostly just insurance. Wives doing the dirty. Yeah. Gary Lydon has that line, yeah. Wives doing the dirty. That's it. That's all. Um, Okay, well, thank you so much for chatting with us. That was great. Yeah, okay then. Thanks a million.